I'm Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'm Curtis Jones. I am Cody Gagbo. Putting on the Liverpool top for the first time, it was a dream come true and I'll never forget that moment. Pre-order the new LFC 24-25 season Nike home kit now. You can pre-order it today for delivery from the 16th of May at your official LFC stores. Online at liverpoolfc.com forward slash store and on the official LFC store app. You will never walk alone. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone and welcome back to Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. The Reds put on a show against Manchester United on Wednesday night with Thiago, the conductor-in-chief at Anfield. And after racking up a 9-0 scoreline over both legs against United this season, Klopp's side looking formidable form. And on today's show, we'll be looking ahead to Sunday's Merseyside derby as a relegation-battling Everton arrive at Anfield in search of a miracle, with perhaps the incentive being a chance to ruin their rival's title chase. So joining me on the show today to lend us his insight into what's been Everton's worst Premier League campaign in history, and perhaps maybe their last for a while, we welcome back Everton fan and football writer, Elliot Cuff. Welcome back, Elliot. Thank you for having me back. No, it's, it's good to speak with you again. I I mean, I think we were just chatting ahead of the pod there that it's... Um, I think when I last spoke to you, you were particularly frustrated with with Benitez and the direction in which things were going after, like a, a glimmer of a positive start to, to life under Rafa, I'd say, before things quickly, quickly spiraled. Um, and yeah, plenty of frustration there and, um, despondency. And, and unfortunately, I'm, I'm guessing I'm catching you in a similar, similar vein at the moment. It's interesting, really, because, uh, the atmosphere has not really improved since Rafa left, but hmm. for very different reasons, you know, Everton fans are now upset because before, I think there was this overall um, disillusionment with the club, not only because we were playing poor football and Rafa wasn't the man to take us forward, but also because the club seemingly ignored fans. You know, appointing someone like Rafa was always going to stoke the flames, and fans knew that, and the club didn't really care. They just wanted to do what they thought was right, even though you know you would think that listening to the fans and, and going by what the people that support Everton were there whole heart and you know that they are the lifeblood of lifeblood of the club you'd think they would govern your decisions um now it's not so much frustration at what Everton are doing I think it's just acceptance that the players we have are just not good enough for where we are I know we'll, we'll get more into it um in a bit but I think that's the the place we come at now it's more just sadness and dejection over where the club have got to as opposed to frustration at where we are yeah no of course and I think um in terms of in terms of sort of the off pitch matters, the hierarchy of the club, and yeah, I think, I think we'll definitely come on to talk about that because I mean, how can you not? But um, I suppose just just to deal with the 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 end of the of the Benitez sort of uh, spell at Everton, as you mentioned there, um, I, I, I I'm, I'm going to say I, I did know a lot of, a lot of Everton fans that I think did give him the benefit of the doubt um, and went along with. That appointment, despite their obvious sort of reservations around it, you, know, you can say all you want about trying to be measured and sort of understanding the qualities of a coach, but you can't remove some of those tribal um, sort of underpinnings that you know, were associated with with Rafa. I, I think that, I think that's very fair anyway. But even beyond that, I think that you, know, you, you can look at his record, and despite those glimmers that I was talking about at the start, where there are a couple of pretty well organized performances where you I thought you put yourself about pretty well against opposition that we've now actually found out are have have, have had pretty bad seasons as well but you 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 took them uh, to the cleaners on a couple of occasions but then um things spiraled quickly and you were talking to me on the last show about how the things that Rafa was you know supposedly synonymous with when he was in his prime and his pomp many years ago now 
Um, you weren't, you weren't even seeing those, you know, sort of that, that ability to keep it tight, be a bit more sensible, pragmatic. Um, you were regularly sort of questioning his, his decisions. Um, I suppose I've got a question then, sort of when things ended for you, was that, uh, uh, um, the right time? Was it um, too late? Do you think it w- was allowed to drift a bit too long or was he not given enough time? And then also, um, in hindsight now, seeing sort of how, how results have been under under Lampard, and we'll come on to talk about him, uh, you mentioned the squad there and whether they're just not good enough necessarily for um, where Everton want to be. Um, what do you put those failures down to? Uh, is, it, is it just a coach who's, you know, living in history a bit? Um. I mean, that's really difficult, to be honest, because you look at the squad we have now and it's not all that different from what Ancelotti had last season. And we mm. weren't nearly as, as poor, consistently poor, as we are this season. I think, touching on the Rafa thing, um, for me, when we let him go, it was too late. At that point, we had left um, whoever was to become his successor very little time to work with the squad yeah. to make transfers in January. And I know we, we got a few players in, but realistically, you would like to have seen that happen quicker. Um, I think what was also so telling about the state of Everton as a club and, and how they're managed um, is the fact that Rafa was sacked and there was clearly no plan to get the manager in. You would assume that with everything going wrong and performances and results not coming in, that Everton would be lining up a replacement and that as soon as they would pull the trigger, they'd have a new manager. But it took weeks before Frank was appointed and that in itself was far too late. Um, so, Everton really made a mess of the whole situation. I agree that, you know, certain fans were happy to give Rafa the benefit of the doubt. They look at his Champions League successes. They think, you know, he, he has it in his locker. He, he's proven that he is a top quality coach. But those days are long gone. Um, you can look at so many coaches from the past that you wouldn't necessarily want at your club now because time does change you as a coach and as a person. And Rafa just wasn't at the right standard for someone who's going to compete in the Premier League. Um, the squad at the moment, it really is a mystery. It, it's so difficult to unpack why so many players that regularly performed um, well or at least averagely last season have now completely dropped off. How you've got people like you know, Michael Keane who struggles to do anything right. Um, and that isn't to single him out over the, play- over the rest of the players because I think other than a few bright sparks, the whole squad in general has just been disastrous. Um, and it's something that if Everton do survive the drop, the next um, season is going to be so important as a rebuild process. If Frank is still in, in charge at that point, which I hope he is, um, I think he'll have an awful lot of work to do just to get Everton competitive again, because whether it's um, mentality, attitude, whether it's the players don't want to be there, they don't care enough about the club, whatever the reason is, there's obviously something wrong and it's far beyond the surface level performances that um, you might look at. It's not just, well, he's rubbish, get rid of him, get someone else in. There's something deep rooted. Um, there's something wrong there that needs to be changed. And it's going to be one hell of a task to to get to the bottom of that, I think. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a lot of, um, I would say pretty obvious, but it's it's more obvious sort of the dysfunction um, off the pitch in terms of the the lack of forward planning, the fact that I think Rafa was allowed to make sort of two pretty, pretty significant decisions, one with letting Dinya go, uh, sort of really alienating that player. And then also, I forget exactly what appointment it was, but there was a significant appointment he made, right, or a sacking that he was responsible for or, or bringing somebody in just before he departed in terms of the actual um, coaching hierarchy as well, um, which pointed to sort of a real lack of planning that, 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 that you'd allow him to make that sort of decision only to um, sack him only a few weeks later. But um, something about what you said that interests me as well, because I, I was speaking with the, the the United guest ahead of uh, the previous game, and he was talking about, you know, uh, you know, that club is another, a very good example of a huge amount of dysfunction. The only reason why I think they're probably in a better shape than they are, um, than others are, is because of their financial um, sort of might at the moment. But the level of dysfunction there is very high, commercial decisions being made, names being brought in. Um, you only have to look at that team to say it's almost, it's almost symbolic of the vision that Ed Woodward and, and those running the club have uh, or had for Man United. You know, not a coherent idea, uh, an asset, if you will. Um, and it's, it's different for Everton, I know it is. But uh, on the psychological aspect, and you were talking about, you know, it's hard to fathom why some of these players who were performing well have just dropped off. Um, 
how much it's, it's, it's really hard for you to it's hard for you to answer that how much do you hear fans talk about just the way in which uh the rug was pulled um, from under you with with Ancelotti's departure that definitely has to be a major part of it i remember seeing speculation and reports from uh inside player camps at the beginning of the season that they had been just as shocked as anyone else because mm. there was obviously speculation at the time that it had been something that had been planned for a while and, and all the players knew Ancelotti was going to leave. But it turns out that wasn't the case. And when you do have someone who, you know, he's a prestigious manager, he, he's a, the, the, the name itself is such a, a strong thing for Everton to have. Um, and all of a sudden he, after telling you he wants to be at the club for X amount of years going forward, disappears at the first chance. Um, some of that, I mean, that's got to be disheartening especially if you're one of the players who seems to thrive or have developed, like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, for example, enjoyed fantastic spells under Ancelotti. And now you have someone else coming in who is a divisive figure among Everton fans, to say the least. That does put you on edge. And I, I imagine there was a, an additional uh, pressure for them to perform because not only are they trying to do a job for the club and for themselves, but also they're facing an uphill battle just to keep the manager in, in, in the job. Uh, whereas Ancelotti... I mean, not all the performances were fantastic, but by and large, his job was safe. He wasn't someone who was going to get sacked at the drop of a hat. So players didn't need to necessarily fight his corner as well as their own. Um, and that's something that's happening again with Frank, because he's come in as a manager who doesn't have an awful lot of experience. He's someone who could become a really talented and, and successful coach in, in the next couple of years. But if you look at what he's done with Derby County and with Chelsea, he's enjoyed very minor success and he hasn't been able to have a sustained period of um, quality where he has, you know, taken a club to the next level. So those players now know that they have more pressure again because if things go wrong, then the club will be in even more disarray. Frank will be the wrong appointment, especially when you had other people like Vitor Pereira who were so heavily linked with the club and who were, you know, being interviewed for the job. Um, it's really difficult. And I think the psychology definitely has to come down to it the way... But I think also it's it's just the way Everton are going to run as a club. You hear all these rumours and these this speculation that comes from behind Finch Farm that Everton just aren't as well run as we'd like them to be. And nowadays, that's half the problem. It's why Man United are in the problem they're in, because it all comes from top down. And, and nowadays, if you have a great coach and you have players that are competent, but the rest of the club around them is falling to pieces, then it's obviously going to affect what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. That's why teams like... Manchester City and Liverpool are so successful because not only do they have the players and the coach, but they just run so smoothly. And I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of how Liverpool are running as a club, but from you know what I gather, there doesn't seem to be any major problems. And and maybe that is something that you know is really hampering the ability of Everton's players to perform consistently with a clear mind. Yeah, and no, I, I was saying to again that United guest Rich ahead of the last um, the last game, I think that. For me, when when Klopp was appointed, and I guess it's easy to say in hindsight now, given the the success he's had. But for me, um, the overriding actual feeling was actually one of relief, not because I thought he was a good coach and he might win as a league or or something like that. Um, of course, those were my hopes, but actually, it was more around relief that um, maybe this was going to be an end to some of the infighting, the dysfunction that I, I that's what I'd heard about with different managers, you know, the, the fabled transfer committee, all, 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 all that sort of stuff around sort of people and being on different pages. Um, and yeah, I, I think that, 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 that's the best thing you can say about City and um, ourselves at the moment and any clubs that are generally successful is that, that there's a coherence, right? Everyone seems to be on the same page. And I think, yeah, you've seen that at Everton, that there's, there doesn't seem to be uh, much of the, much of that in, um, in clear sight. So I think we have, we have to move on to Lampard then in terms of, I, I try hard not to be tribal on, um, on this pod, actually. And I, I, I try and be pretty objective. Sometimes on Raw, the post-match pods, I, I, I can let it go a little bit and things like that. But I, I'm going to put my cards out here uh, pretty firmly. I was, I was very shocked when, uh, Everton appointed Frank Lampard, um, from a completely neutral point of view, because I thought, given the, the issues you were dealing with and given the issues, um, that we'd seen Benitez struggle with in terms of you know, the, the defensive side, maybe, and what you would usually associate with a side that looked like they were going to maybe be in a in a um, a battle against relegation, that they would appoint a coach like that. And I, I, I'm interested. Just you touched upon it a little bit there. Um, your opinion of, of the appointment when it was first made, and then also the opinion of those Everton fans that you spoke to, really, just about 
were, were you excited at this young, maybe up and coming coach, or were you actually thinking, well, you know, maybe we should have gone for more of a sure thing? I think uh, the process of taking so long to get the man- manager impacted how a lot of fans felt because yeah. first when Lampard's name was thrown into the equation, I wasn't overly impressed. We were looking at or so the the papers would have you have you believe. We were looking at the likes of Nico Kovac, who's mm. got a great record, has done so well with Monaco before he was uh, sacked earlier this season or, or last season, whenever it was. Um, and we were looking at people like Graham Potter, who has done a fantastic job with very little yeah. at, Burnley, uh, at Brighton. Sorry. Um, and then you get Lampard, who, again, as I said, he, he doesn't have an awful lot of experience. Um, I think when we start to rule out the likes of Potter and Kovac, then you're looking at, free agents or managers that are young and up and coming. And it, it became a two horse race between Wayne Rooney and Lampard. And at that stage, you know, that, there's obviously a lot of sentimentality attached to Rooney's appointment. Um, and he has done a, an amazing job at Derby, a job that, you know, despite their relegation, it can't be understated how well he's done given the uh, situation that club was in. Um, but it very much did become a point where, uh, myself and a lot of other fans felt that Lampard was probably the best we were going to get. After those managers had been ruled out, you're looking at only a handful of managers that realistically would have come to the club that would have actually given them something. And, you know, with the way that Lampard approached Derby County and Chelsea, he had them playing attacking football. And Everton, I mean, admittedly, we don't have the players to really do that at the moment, but it's the ethos, the mentality that we want the club to be run uh, in a certain way, we want them to play a certain way. Rafa had taken it back to the days of Sam Allardyce, where we played monotonous, dull, defensive football, and we weren't even any good at it. We couldn't defend to save our lives, even though you know that was the style of play that we were implementing. So I think by the time Lampard was appointed, I had accepted it and I was okay with it. But if you'd asked me a couple of weeks prior, he's not where I would have gone. Although you know, I can't say I'm disappointed, and the results. He, you know, he hasn't been perfect so far. He's made tactical errors. He's made poor substitutions at times. But by and large, the problems remain with the players on the pitch. And until we see him bring in more of his players in the summer and, and give it a good crack, we can't really determine how successful he will be. I mean, even the players we've got so far. Deli Ali was a strange one, admittedly. Um, one that could have paid off big time, but also could equally be disastrous. Um, but... Donny van der Beek was it was an was a, a smart signing, um, albeit on a on a short loan, and um, you know he's doing the best with what he's got. Mm. Um, I'm interested to see how that can change in the future if he's given the time, which he we we need to let him have that time. Whether we go up on whether we go down or not, he needs to be in place next season to start again and try and rebuild. Interesting. Is there is there is there confidence that he would stay next season if Everton were to? I mean. Um, if if Everton were to go down, is there, is, is there confidence that you think Lampard would stay? Um, from from my perspective, I would imagine that Lampard probably doesn't have an awful lot of offers. This is what um, I would this is what I would think as well. I'm, I'm just I'm just I'm just I'm just going by the fact that apparently he refused certain other jobs, you know, ahead of the Everton one. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Crystal Palace. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe he would. Maybe he would want to leave, but he's he's. I mean, I know he's employed by the club, so he sort of has to toe the company line, but he has <laughs> repeatedly said, you know, Everton is such a big club, it's a massive opportunity. And we are a big club if you look at the history book. So mm. maybe you would think, right, well, I don't have an awful lot of offers to go to any big clubs. This might be the place for me to stay. And I've, I've been in the championship before. I know what I'm doing. Get promoted. Um, and he'd have all the resources available to him. Obviously, financial fair play could be an issue, but with the parachute payments, he will have the money to, to spend and try and, mm. and shape the team in his image. And in terms of, uh, I mean, you mentioned some of those players who've come in, uh, Donny van der Beek on loan, Deli Ali on a free transfer. Um, not sure if there were others that, that were looked at. It was a short time frame, as you mentioned, with sort of, sort of he needs more time to identify those players. Um, s- with what you've seen so far, what have been the real obvious shifts? I mean, you mentioned that sort of really sort of Allardyce-like football without the payoff that you were seeing from Benitez uh, towards the end of his, um, his tenure. What has Lampard tried to get Everton doing uh is there a not- is there um what are the noticeable shifts sorry and like uh if, if you were to think uh, sort of which players or which positions are the top of his list if he was to be able to purchase any players right now um who would those be well, i think you've definitely seen a shift in the way everton operate when they're not in possession i think that's one thing that everton fans were were very hopeful of where you know under benitez they sort of just sat back and waited 
and they didn't they weren't playing aggressive they weren't trying to press Lampard has tried to encourage that more and again the players aren't aren't good enough they don't have the right fitness levels to compete we saw that against Leicester uh, yesterday they were um far too tired too quickly but people like Alex Awobi has found a new leash of life under Lampard because he's moved him into a central position and he's told him just to run press move quickly try and put as much pressure on the ball as you can and he's not great in possession but he's doing better and I think that's the whole point we were trying to see more defensive solidity and in the midfield in the attack press work harder um try and create space try and make the most of the opportunities um that's not always something that's working at the moment and that's where signings will come into play I think Everton certainly need a out and out defensive midfielder someone who can sit in front of the back four and do the dirty work Alan isn't suited to that and at the moment Fabian Delph is the only other player we've got in that role and you know he's someone who I imagine probably doesn't have much of a future at the club um, and then the obvious answer is at the back. Um, we have been terrible all season. Uh, Yerry Mina's injuries have not helped, but Ben Godfrey, since coming back from his lengthy injury uh, last season, has not been able to hit the same heights that he did initially. And Michael Keane and Mason Holgate have been comedy of errors at times. So um, certainly a centre-back. Uh, and then, you know, we could really do with positions everywhere across the pitch, if I'm honest. You know, we need more someone to help take the pressure off Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Salomon Rondon hasn't really done that. Um, so potentially someone there. Um, wide men, Andros Townsend, he's injured now, but he struggled for any game time under Lampard initially. So maybe Frank doesn't see what um, Rafa did in, in Andros, uh, which is a shame because I did think he actually played reasonably well in the first half of the season. And uh, the fullbacks are another issue. Mikolenko is coming on strong, but he'll have no support next season unless we decide to keep Niels and Kunku around. But I can't imagine... That'll be the case. And Nathan Patterson, this, you know, sharp, exciting young fullback has barely been given a sniff. So maybe Frank will decide that he needs a new out and out first choice right back. Um, to be honest, the only places that are secure are Richarlison, providing he stays at the club and doesn't doesn't leave. Anthony Gordon and Jordan Pickford. Uh, other than that, everyone could be replaced in that starting lineup. So yeah. then I imagine would be quite an awful lot of change over in the summer. And that's what does excite me if we stay up. If we don't, obviously we're we're talking a whole different game entirely. I, I do I do want to dwell on uh, Anthony Gordon actually. I feel like it's you know it's it's been such a difficult season that at times, unless you're an Everton fan, uh, sort of his development and his um, how integral he's been throughout in in, in really difficult situation to be honest um, as a young player um, has probably gone beside the uh, the wayside a little bit. I mean. Uh, just talk to us a little bit around sort of Anthony Gordon and sort of how how he's made it to this point basically where he's now sort of um, often seen as a sort of a first team regular when he's fit um, and often seems to inject a huge amount of energy into the side. I mean, it's strange really because the season feels like it's been going on forever. It's been so negative and disappointing that it's hard to really pinpoint where things started and stopped. So I can't even remember when Anthony Gordon became a full-fledged first team member but now he is someone who would arguably be the first name on the on the on the team sheet after Jordan Pickford um I think it does help that he is an Evertonian that he is someone who lives and breathes the club and he wants us to succeed which is something you can say a lot of the other players don't have that same passion but it's it's more than than just the passion he brings because he has the ability the technical um finesse that we've known he's had for a long time he's impressed the under 23s for David Unsworth's team for a long time and, you know, there's a lot of players that do that, that are on the periphery and can never make that jump. Gordon is one of the few who seems to have taken that with both hands and he's run with it. Um, and now it's got to the point where if he doesn't start, everyone is, is disappointed. Tom, even Tom Davies, when he broke through, they never completely won over everyone. Some people were fascinated by him and wanted him to play every minute. Some people didn't rate him enough and thought he was a, a squad player at best. Anthony Gordon has completely captured the interest of everyone and it is a shame that it has come in such a poor season because it has been um looked over a lot of the time after a poor performance the entire squad will be lambasted on social media and criticized and and uh, people don't always take the time to single out anthony gordon as someone who goes against the grain because he is one of the few i mean if you if we were going to give a best player of the season award to anyone it would un unmistakably be him because he turns up every week and if he's not having a great game he's at least fighting and he's, and he's running harder than anyone else on that pitch. Um, and he deserves so much credit for what he's been able to, to offer Evertonians this, this season, because without him, honestly, there's, there's very, very little that would excite anyone. Um, and obviously, you know, him being an Everton fan, 
there's always a little bit extra there that that sentimentality that fans can buy into the fact that it's one of them on the pitch who's uh, succeeding and scoring goals and doing well. But um, yeah, I, I definitely think he he deserves an awful lot more credit than he uh, is currently receiving because he's just been fantastic. And in terms of um, <clears throat> sort of some of the the, the common uh, statements that we've heard from uh, from from Frank Lampard when he's been bemoaning sort of the sides, um, it's it's often been questioning mentality quite you know things like appetite some of the intangibles really that you can't really sort of quantify um i i i just wondered sort of um about your opinion on one is is there a game since lampard's been manager where you think well that's probably the closest to uh you know how he would like us to to play as as a frank lampard everton side um and then also what he's what he's been saying there when he's come out and he's criticized um, players or pointed out reasons for why there might have been a late loss or loss of a lead or things like that. Um, do, do you do you buy into those reasons? And um, is there one that you think is is is, is more more relevant than others? Um, I don't buy into an awful lot of reasons, to be honest. I think mm. have definitely struggled with injuries yeah. the past a yeah. few months. I mean, as I said, Yerry Mina has missed most of the season, but. Calvert-Lewin being hamstrung for a lengthy period of time has been a problem. We've lost Townsend, you know, Allen missed a couple of games, so did Decore. Yeah. It's been it's been difficult. Was Demare um, Gray out for a while as well? Was he? He's yeah. only just come back and he yeah. is not at the same standard he was before. Maybe that's a fitness thing still, you know, we don't know. But um, it, it's definitely been difficult for him to make some form of consistency with the team. I think I read a stat uh, it, it, the, the game against Leicester, it was our 22nd different defensive lineup or something like that. It, it's been really difficult. Um, I think the game against Leeds we saw early on into Lampard's tenure was, was the one where everyone sort of thought, right, this is how we could be playing. We're playing a team that are known for being very um, aggressive and, and dynamic. And we essentially played them off the pitch in every uh, in every facet, um, every player, including the people like John. John Joe Kenny and, and Alex Awobi, who don't, you know, um, often get praised. Uh, everyone was fantastic. And that, it was a re- resounding 3-0 win that I think fans were delighted for. And, and, and they would hope we would kick on from there. But then we followed that up with a disappointing game against Newcastle where we lost. Um, so, I mean, as I, it, as I said, it's really tough to judge Lampard and what he's trying to do. Because at the moment, it very much does feel like damage limitation. He's been brought in with one job, stay us, keep, keep us up. And he's having to dig in and do the best he can and um, try and achieve that goal. And that's often not enough. Um, we haven't even come close, really, to seeing what he could do with a squad um, that are playing well and, and that are operating in, in the way that he wants them to. So that's one of the reasons why I, I really want to see him stay around, whether we go down or not, because I think he could be interesting. It could be interesting to see what he can do with his team, how he could shape it and how he can make them play. Um, but that one game against Leeds is the one I would I would definitely reference because it was a, a a very small glimpse into the future of what could be, providing we stay up. And in terms of the off pitch issues, and we, we talked about some of that dysfunction there. I mean, has there been any sort of I mean concerted pressure or sort of efforts from the fans to sort of demand answers to some of these questions? I think we we, we spoke about this last time as well, and that sort of thing, sort of fans are entitled to a bit more transparency around. The presence of a plan and and some justifications for some of the some of the decisions that have been made by the owner um, and by some of the the footballing hierarchy at the club. Um, any signs that that's forthcoming at all, or is it just going to be another another season of um, having to hope that they um, they get their ducks in a row? I think it's it's certainly the latter. Um, mm. All season long, obviously Everton fans have been frustrated with the players' performances and, and Rafa Benitez, but the Focus has always been to Farhad Mashiri, Denise Barrett-Baxendale, Bill Kenwright, the rest of the Everton board. It's all been, what are you doing? What have you done over the past five years to prove that you are actually taking Everton in the right direction? You know, Since Farhad Mashiri became majority sh- uh, stakeholder, Everton have shown glimpses, but then they've slid backwards. They've spent far too much money on players that weren't worth that much money. Um, and they're now in a position where, you know, financially they're, they're hamstrung. They don't have the players and they're in a position where they don't want to be. Marcel Brands um, left in, in, in January after a couple of years here where he was barely given the opportunity to do his actual job being the director of football. So I think now people are questioning um, the board, especially 
Mashiri, Barrett Baxendale and, and Kenwright. Um, and there isn't an awful lot of communication. We had a statement from Mashiri in, I think, February it was, where he essentially came out and said that he cared about the club and that he was doing his best to, to restructure. But we've, we haven't seen an awful lot of that. Kevin Thelwell has come in as uh, our new director of football. Not an awful lot is known about him. Um, I don't know how much work he is, you know, been given uh, the opportunity to do behind the scenes. I don't know how well he's working with Frank. Um, hopefully it's in more tandem than Marcel Brands and, and Rafa, because by all accounts, they were uh, diametrically opposed when it came to recruitment, um, which is not helpful. Um, but it, it does very much feel like another one of those where without clear and concise communication regularly which we don't get we get one statement a quarter maybe if we're lucky um we are just basically waiting to see what happens and we're hoping that Mashiri can can gradually realize that he is a fantastic businessman by all accounts or, or you know i don't know what he does business-wise but that is is separate from being a football owner and that he is not someone who has football expertise and that he needs to leave that to people in the job. And then I think there's also issues people have with Bill Kenwright still being around. What does he provide? Um, the fact that he is doing negotiations on behalf of um, Everton instead of the director of football. The fact that um, Mashiri's friend, Kia Jubra Chain, is, is hanging around. There are so many questions that people have, and I don't think we're ever going to get an answer because Mashiri doesn't seem to care enough about his perception among Everton supporters to address those issues. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's not a fun time. We basically just have to hope and pray that whatever decisions they are making behind the scenes in secret, they are the right decisions and they will lead us in the right direction eventually. But um, I'm not massively hopeful, if I'm honest. Hmm. Now then you've got reason, you, you've got reason to be sceptical about that. And I mean, after that Burnley win, um, uh, that sort of dramatic sort of 3-2 comeback, um, you must have been sort of fearing the worst, basically, given how significant a result that looked to be at the time, um, with sort of Burnley having seemed to have some momentum. Obviously, what we've seen is that, um, uh, you know, Sean Dyche, uh, was the longest serving manager in the league is now gone. Um, and sort of Burnley are, are now left around sort of, sort of looking for a new direction, I suppose. And, uh, obviously Everton's results following that, a 1-0 win over uh, a very, you know, to give you the credit you deserve, but still a very poor Man United uh, side. Uh, but again, needed to be beaten. One nil win over, uh, over them, and then showing fight in, 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 in sort of coming back into that game against Leicester, where Leicester did have, I, think, I thought, chances to to win that game. But you know, staying in a game like that and, and uh, snatching a late uh, equaliser there as well, you must you must have been impressed by sort of the the response following that Burnley defeat because that could easily have been sort of you know, a very, very hard gut punch to come back from. I mean, it definitely was. Uh, it, it's the first time this season that, well, I think I tweeted something at the time where I'd gone beyond feeling angry or disappointed. I just felt sad. I just felt that we had got to a point where it was now inevitable, that we were going to go down. And the Everton, as I've known it, as I grew up watching them, have come to an end. You know, it, it, it's it, we've just hit the bottom of that slippery slope. And then, Miracles happen. Norwich beat Burnley and we beat Man United and now there's a four-point gap again. Um, so football is a, is a funny old game. The Premier League, as everyone knows, can can change on a dime. Um, it's definitely been a massive improvement in terms of attitudes on the pitch, but we're still by no means playing, playing good football. Um, Man United, we were lucky that they are in such a slump because even though we played better, we still didn't play well. And the game against Leicester... Um, Again, it, it was terrible, really. We, we conceded a very, very poor goal in the first um, five minutes. We gave away numerous chances throughout the game. Richarlison missed two sitters before he scored a horrendously scruffy goal at the end. And they all count, of course, but the performance itself wasn't good. Um, and you look at the games Burnley have got coming up. They're playing Southampton. They've got Wolves. They've got Aston Villa twice. Um, they've got some easier fixtures than uh, than we do. I think they've got Watford as well. We've got Chelsea still to play. We've got um, Liverpool, obviously, this weekend. We've got so many big teams to play. Um, Arsenal, I think, on the last day of the season. Um, it, it's still not looking safe. Um, but I am thankful they were they were able to get that point against Leicester, especially after Burnley got a point against West Ham. If we hadn't been able to get that late equaliser, the, uh, the distance between the two clubs would have been three points, and that's a little bit too unnervy. So the fact we've kept that four-point 
uh, gap is is big. Southampton really need to do us a job and beat Burnley because I can't imagine it's going to be very fun um, playing Liverpool this weekend. So, you know, it's still very much up in the air. But I am thankful that after that Burnley game, I was beyond the brink. I was it, it, it was done. It was over. It was finished. And now there seems to be a glimmer of hope. So fingers crossed we can keep that momentum, keep finding that extra bit of energy we need and that determination and, and, and fight. And we can uh, pull some points from, unnecess- from um, unexpected places. Hmm. And in terms of glimmers of hope as well, I mean, you, you, you talked about Anthony Gordon, you talked about Richarlison as well, and as maybe Pickford, Calvert Lewin as the only players that you'd be, you'd be fine with, you know, sticking around. The rest you, you could see easily sort of seeing reasons for moving them on. Um, aside from Anthony Gordon, I just wanted to ask whether or not there were players that you think have, have shown credit this season and, you know, I think Lampard's been demanding fight um, again and again, sort of post matches. Which is, I suppose, that 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 goes with what you're saying there, where the performances aren't great, but you're seeing a bit of spirit there. Um, but are, are there players that you look at and go, well, yeah, they, they, yeah, if if they help us through this, they are going to emerge with some credit, similar to, to Anthony Gordon. I mean, there are there aren't a lot, there aren't many. Charlison um, hmm. is someone who, you know, he, he gets a bad rap. Because he is a bit theatrical and he can sometimes bit gnarly as well. Sometimes milk a challenge a little bit, but he is his his work rate is unbelievable and he's someone who genuinely does seem to care about the club, whether he really does or not. You know, no one can ever know. But from the way he presents himself on social media and in person and at games and the way he commits, he does seem to care and he seems to be trying every week. And Everson fans just want that. They want someone who will always fight for the badge and will always try. Um. Jordan Pickford is another person who I I don't think has put a foot wrong all season. Um, I might be mistaken, but from uh, from my recollection, he, he's been solid all year. Um, a couple of years ago, I was happy to see him go because I, I thought he had he had um, overstayed his welcome. But for the for a couple of years now, he's been rock solid, and and a couple of little uh, loose moments every now and then won't, won't dissuade me from the fact that he has been a very good servant for the club. And um, I think he deserves far better than where, where he is in the league. Um, and apart from that, there isn't an awful lot to praise. I think Vitaly Mikolenko does deserve some credit because he's come from a, uh, a league that is far, far below the standard of the Premier League. And he's had a lot of obviously devastating personal problems with the, uh, the war in Ukraine. So his mind has been in two different places, coming from one country, flying halfway across the world, uh, not speaking English and having all that to, to deal with in the back of his mind. The fact that he is growing game on game and getting better and better and has arguably been our man of the match the last two games in a row. I think he deserves an awful lot of credit. Um, and he replaced a player who, in the, you know, many would have considered irreplaceable. Many would have not dreamed of selling Lucas Digne and, and we just got rid of him like he was nothing. So um, I think he deserves a lot of credit. But other than that, there aren't an awful lot of leaders in that team. There aren't an awful lot of people that that have put themselves in good light. Some people have done it for periods of time. Damari Gray and Andros Townsend both start the season really well, but they've dropped off. They've not been able to sustain that. And um, and, and it, same with Abdullah Dekore. So it's difficult. It really is difficult to to pick many bright uh, bright lights in that team. Um, they all have it. Oh, and the, the, the one person I would um uh, would praise as well is Alex Iwobi because I've seen a lot of people online. Uh, meme him and, and mm. mock him and, and, and deride him. And Completely I think, written off, yeah, almost, yeah. Yeah, and I do think he tries every game. And again, I'll go back to the whole ethos that Emerson fans want, someone who will fight and they'll try. And I mean, there was a couple, I can't remember who, who he was playing when he gave away the ball and it was just disastrous. I think he might have been against, was it against Burnley? I can't remember. Um, I think it may have been, yeah. He's not been the strongest player on the pitch. I'm not quite sure whether his signing was a, a good one, but um, he tries, and uh, I'll give him credit for that alone because there are an awful lot of players in that squad that don't. And I suppose in that in that area, then around fight, around trying, around effort, um, even if sort of quality comes up short and things like that. Um, you mentioned the run in there, and it looks um, obviously very tough, actually, to be honest. And there's a sort of obviously there's us on the weekend, and there's Chelsea, uh, Leicester. Uh, I mean. The Watford game, you imagine it won't be pleasant with Hoshin, <laughs> regardless of where Watford are at that stage. Um, Brentford in, in, in very fine form at the moment. Um, I think, I think it was four wins out of the last five games. 
and then Palace, um, well, yeah, Palace may, may, may well and truly be on the beach by that stage. Uh, but Arsenal, you imagine, may have something to fight for as well. So as you pointed out, it, it is a tough run and it's one where you can't ease off. I, I'm, I'm interested by what you think Lampard's approach should be for a game like this at the weekend where, uh, you were saying ahead of the pod, you, you don't think that we've, We've spoken when you know, the two sides have been this far apart in terms of their fortunes, also where they are at the moment. Um, I, I was interested by sort of what United would do, and again, I feel like I've made a lot of United comparisons, but I was interested by what they would do because they're in their own particular rut at the moment. Um, and I think Everton are definitely fighting much harder for themselves than 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 United are. But um, given the situation, given sort of the disparity between the two teams, h- how do you think Lampard's going to approach this game? I think you can only approach it in one way, and that is the same way that Man United should have approached the game, which is leaning on the historical uh, rivalry between the clubs and and trying to drive all of your motivation by passion and by determination to face a team that you don't get on with. Because if you try and outplay Liverpool, if you try and outmaneuver them, it will only end one way. Jurgen Klopp is a superior manager. Every player on the pitch for Liverpool is better than the equivalent in the position for Everton. Um, there is no way Everton can outplay Liverpool in any way, shape or form. And it gives me no pleasure to say that. But, I mean, as I said to you before the pod, as you said, we, we've never been further apart in terms of ability. Liverpool seem to be hitting new heights all the time. And, you know, it, it's unbelievable, really, what, what Klopp's been able to achieve. Um, I particularly hate seeing Luis Diaz do well because he was supposedly on the verge of signing for us in the summer. And now, yeah. now look at him go. So, um it, yeah, I think the only way we can ever get anything out of that game, and I don't think we will, and I think very few Everton fans would believe that there's a, a possibility of getting anything. But if we are going to get anything, it has to be from just putting your heart on your sleeve, understanding the gravity of the fixture, and and playing to the fans. And Everton fans have been fantastic all season. Um, they've been brilliant, home and away. Um, sports being incredible and and they will have to drag those players over the line because there is no other way that we, we can ever dream of getting anything no, yeah, I think it's going it's going to be an interesting atmosphere as well because again it's a, another one of these games following shortly after the United game which was an evening game and the atmosphere was great there as well uh, these, these, these games are just so incredibly important um, obviously for for both sides at the moment for different reasons and yeah. I, I, I'm just thinking I mean, you were you were saying there around Luis Diaz and some other players. I mean, if you, um, not a player that you that you say you're most not looking forward to facing this weekend, but I'm I'm interested in hearing your opinion on um, which Liverpool player, um, if if you're okay to admit it, has it has impressed you the most this season. Uh-huh, where do you even start? There's so many different options. Um, maybe not over the course of the entire season, but one player who. Recently, because I mean, I don't watch an awful lot of Liverpool games. It doesn't really matter. That's fair. But one player who recently just just wowed me was Thiago. Ah, yes. (laughs) Watching that game against Man City, he's just, it's a level above. And I know he was equally as impressive against Man United. Um, Mm. And especially at the moment with Everton having essentially a non existent midfield, um, whether we're playing two or three midfield, we don't seem to be able to control the game at all. You have someone with the sheer ability that he has who will just, I mean, I, I, believe Carragher said something during the United game about how it looked as if Thiago was playing football against his kids in his back garden yeah. and just <laughs> he, he's just on another level um obviously the front three whoever it is Salah, Jota, Mane, Diaz, Firmino it doesn't really matter it's not going to end well but yeah I, I really enjoy watching someone of Thiago's ability play it's just a, a shame he has to do it in Liverpool Red. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're, you're not alone on that. I mean, I've got quite a few friends who live in um, in Germany, and they, obviously they watched him a lot when he was uh, playing for Bayern Munich. And I, I remember them they're being at pains to tell me that look, if, if, if he signs, you're going to have fun. Like you, you're going to have a lot of fun with this guy. Uh, and of course, he's, he's, had, he's had his injury issues, he's, he's had his consistency issues. He came in at a point where we, <laughs> we basically asked him to play two roles in midfield, uh, and we realised that uh, one thing he does share with Paul Skulls is that neither of them can. Can can really uh, do a sliding tackle, I'd say. Although he's improved, he's improved as he, yeah. as he's got more support. But um, yeah, on the ball, it's pre- it's pretty much cigar, cigar in the mouth stuff at times. And um, 
especially when you see players doing it without shin pads as well. You're always like, yeah, you've probably been doing this for a long time, haven't you? Where <laughs> people have wanted to kick you and you've gotten away with it. But no, it's, it's, it's certainly been the case. What's interesting to me actually is given some of the intensity of the fixture schedule at the moment, um, just whether or not uh, we're going to see a lot of rotation from Liverpool, to be honest, because um, the, the the team that played against United, I think um, you, people argue back and forth about whether or not that was whether or not that's, that's Liverpool's strongest team, whether Canate will, will come in for this game, whether or not you'll see Cater come in for this game. Um, maybe we'll even see the famous, of course, uh, Divock Origi come back in for for a Merseyside derby, who knows? He's, he's, he's been a little bit out on the limb at the moment. But um, yeah, I, I do expect it's going to be a game where there is some rotation as well. Um, I suppose that the, the final question to ask, then, just before we, before we wrap up, is um, yeah, how you're feeling about the rest of the season in terms of if, if you had to make a prediction right now, do you think you'll, do you think you'll uh, stay up? Or do you think it's going to be is there one game in particular that you're looking at where you think that is that that is a gigantic game? Um, I think at the moment it's it's one of those where I'm not even paying attention to Everton's results. I'm looking purely at Burnley, Burnley. because it, okay. like it is within their power to drag themselves out of this mess, and if they keep winning, mm. they don't have it in their to, to, to equal their results. But not just because we've got harder games than they do, but because we're just not as good as them. We don't have as much fight as them. Um, ben right, Mee's the manager there, isn't he, for, for the rest of the season? Is that, is that what they'd said, right? Um, I I think I believe so, yeah. yeah. Ben was part of the coaching team. It's the cool. whole under 23 setup that's come up. Right, okay, okay. He's just sort of joining them, I assume, to help bridge the gap between the under 23s and the first team. Um, but I think, I, th- I think at the moment, if I had to place money... I would probably say that Burnley will stay up um, mm. because of the results. I, I thought they would struggle against West Ham. I know they, they obviously had a come down from the Europa League result. Um, they probably weren't overly focused, uh, but that was a, a massive point. And they've just got that easy run in or easier run in than Everton do. Um, and I just, I don't know if Everton have the, the personalities in that squad to really drag them over the line. Um, Seamus Coleman is someone who's always been that for us. He's always been a, a leader, a lion at the back, mm. and he can't can't do anything with the players around him. Um, yeah. so, I mean, I'm really obviously every game now. I'm going into it hopeful. I don't have this pessimistic stance that I did after we lost to Burnley a couple of weeks ago. I, I, there's, there there are rays of sunshine. Mm-hmm. I'm hopeful, but as I said, if I had to make a prediction, if you really force me to sit and think about it, I would be leaning Burnley. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, even even with that, yeah, more positive spin on things recently. That's interesting. And uh, actually, Seamus Coleman was, was someone I was going to bring up. I mean, uh, do you think there are a, a number of Everton players that I expect players to move on? But do you, do you think there's some players here who are coming to the end of their careers? It's sort of a weird place for us to end. But I was just thinking about Coleman, and um, he's obviously not the force he he once was, while still being. I think you can still see sort of um, uh, sort of the the residue of 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 the player he used to be at his peak. Um, do you think there's a couple of players there who actually are maybe coming towards the end of their Everton careers as well? Just, n- not because they're not performing, um, you know, or, or, or they've been bad or whatever, but but just because they're they're reaching that point in their own careers. Oh yeah, I definitely think so. I, uh, especially Seamus, because mm. he's someone who has been approaching that point for years now, and it's why we've been crying out for a right back. Yeah. Year after, and now, now we've signed Patterson, who is determined to be you know below the, the standard of the Premier League. So I feel determined. <laughs> I feel sorry for him because he's been hung out to dry, and, and the last cut, he should have. It should have been the case of Leighton Baines, where he was gradually faded out, mm. and he played cup games, and then he had a peaceful retirement, and and he was, you know, revered by fans who remember the glory days. But at the moment, Seamus does get pelted week after week because he's not the required standard, and that's just because he's getting on, and he, you know, he's, he's approaching the end of his career. So mm. I, I don't think I don't know if there's many others that will be in the same position as him. Uh, most of our Aging players, the likes of Fabian Delph. Um, they're not connected, yeah. Because they're not at the right standard. But um, yeah, certainly I think it could be nearing the end for Seamus. Maybe he'll, if we go down, he'll want to stay around and try and help the club get out of the situation they're in. But um, I certainly don't think he's got many more seasons left in him. Yeah, and, and, and because I gave you an unpleasant prediction to, to give me as well, I want to give you one where you, where you might be... <laughs> Well, you might get me back for that. In terms of the in terms of the title, if if I had to put you on the on the spot, where does your gut lie at the moment? 
<laughs> um, I'm really, to be honest, I'm really excited to see how it plays out. I would yeah. have to say that I think Man City will win purely mm. because I don't know where they drop points. That's true. I think yeah. that's the biggest problem. Liverpool, I've got no uh, doubt, can, can win every game they've got remaining, but it's where City slip up. Um, that is the issue. Um, yeah. I think I would give Liverpool the edge, uh, certainly in the cup final, but also in the Champions League. Um, but the Premier League, I just don't know how they get that ground back unless Man City make a mistake, and I just can't see them doing it. Yeah, no, I think I'm with you there as well, actually. I, I, I mean, I, not not on the prediction of who's going to win either, but that, I, I do keep, I keep looking at the fixture list and going, who who is going to come up? <laughs> who is going to pop up with something? Uh, mm. And, and, and uh, obviously nil-nil half-time against Brighton last night, and then obviously things went the way they usually do. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think I'm just going to focus on on the Liverpool performances from uh, from now on onwards and just, yeah, control what we can control at this stage. But anyway, Elliot, thank you like very much for coming on. I, I appreciate it. It's not, it's not been a fun time to talk this season. Um, certainly a long way away from where we were uh, talking around sort of the time with Ancelotti. But um, yeah, really appreciate you coming on and sharing all your insight around Everton again. Well, every year we do it and I do get you know a fair amount of catharsis out of it. So I appreciate the fact you've had me back on and I, I look forward to doing it again next year where hopefully well if we get to do it next year we might, it might not be the case if we're not in the Premier League anymore I hadn't even thought about that that's going to send me into a spiral um, but no yeah it's been a pleasure thank you very much and uh, hopefully uh, it won't be too long before we do it again no absolutely yeah yeah I do. Can I say I hope this? Yeah, yeah. I do. I know, no, I do. I do. I, I do. I do hope Everton. Yeah. At this point, my my dislike of Lampard is actually uh, irrationally sort of uh, larger. Actually, I'm, I'm not sure why he <laughs> he winds me up so much. Um, but uh, just to all those who've been listening uh, on sort of rival recon, of course, week in week out as the season eventually winds to an exciting uh, conclusion. Uh, yeah, thank you for joining us. It's again. Um, a, a luxury to be in, in this position where we're talking about fighting on all fronts still still feels very surreal to be honest um, we'll be back again with another episode ahead of the the game against Newcastle renewed Newcastle which I, I just, I'm not very happy about it at all to be honest I'm not happy about everyone's everyone's swallowing this as well but um, yeah we'll be back with another another episode ahead of the Newcastle game on April 30th but until then check out all the other great content on Anfield Index Pro uh, and we'll see you then We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.